Okay, what I want you guys to do is I want you to point left or point right, dependent on what you think is more important. So number one, Marvel or DC? Just tell me, which way? All right, all right. Or neither? I know some faces are like, no. <laughs> all right, next up, Pepsi or Coke? All right, all right, all right. Uh, what about this one, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Yeah? What about this, Frisbee or golf? Just putting Frisbee on your mind, right? <laughs> okay, we got some golf, one golfer here, good. All right, next one. A duck-sized horse or a hundred uh, duck-sized horses? So a horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? Does anyone know the reference to that? Yeah, good. What's more important? Next one, love or truth? Oh, okay. What about this one? Unity or freedom? Gets you thinking, doesn't it? Gets you thinking. Now, it's true that these should not be mutually exclusive. But I think there's a safety amongst Christians in individualism and comfort that we dress up in truth and entitlements at the expense of love and unity. Let me say that again. I think there's a safety that Christians find in individualism and comfort that we dress up in entitlements at the expense of love and unity. Would we be willing to forfeit our rights, forfeit our freedoms for the sake of love? It's not a popular question to ask today. Personal rights, personal preference are depicted as the highest good, the highest authority. A community of love should never come at the expense of personal freedoms. Or should it? This is the question that the Corinthian church was facing. Uh, so I want to backtrack for a bit. Tonight we're in chapter 8 in Paul's letter to the first, uh, to the, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, he's already addressed in the first few chapters, chapters 1 to 7, uh, the Corinthian church's disunity. They were divided around certain leaders who was, you know, more important and they were kind of forming these groups and were divided. And Paul goes to great effort in the first few chapters to say that their message, their unity, their power was not in some apostle. It was not in worldly wisdom and it wasn't in some experience or sign, but it was squarely in the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We read chapter 1, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul's saying, where's the power? Where's the unity? It is in the gospel. And so Paul longs, he says it in his first chapter, he says that they would be perfectly united in thought, in mind, in this gospel. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to re-watch chapters 1 to 7, uh, we, we had some messages on them throughout COVID. They're on YouTube or check out the City Reach podcast. And, you know, we tend to think that the early church uh, was this kind of perfect community uh, that had it all together. You know, I've thought that too and thought, if only we could just be like the early church. But, you know, the Corinthians, they had, uh, they had their issues and they'd actually reached out to Paul with a bunch of questions a bunch of problems. 
And this letter that we read, 1 Corinthians, is actually the Apostle Paul's reply. So we don't actually have that original letter, but we have this, and it's become Scripture. It's Paul's reply to this letter. And in it, he answers some of their questions. And so in chapter 7, he says, now about the things you wrote about. So he's like, you wrote to me about this problem. And that was for their marriage and singleness. We talked about that. And then chapter 8, where we are up tonight in this new series, he says, the next issue that you talked about, food sacrificed to idols. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Has anyone this week sacrificed food to an idol? No one? Anyone know of someone who has sacrificed food to an idol? All right. So understandably, it's going to be hard to see what's going on here. And so I want you for a moment to imagine ancient Corinth. Picture with me, you know, the Greek columns. It's ancient Greece. The togas, the temples, the food, the language, the architecture, the communities. Imagine this is where you live. This is your life. And so every day you go to the temple to worship the god Aphrodite. It's a scary place. It's filled with debauchery and animal sacrifice and and chanting. You're afraid that if you don't go and worship here, your love life will be cursed and forever you'll be infertile. After your shameful acts with a temple maid and you purchase some of the meat being sold in the temple market and you go home and you eat your dinner. Day after day after day, you do this and you feel like you're selling your soul to evil, but you just can't seem to break free from this cocktail of pleasure and pain and and fear. It's a prison. You see, the ecstasy of the temple only for a moment covers your emptiness. And so every day, more and more, you are feeling more worthless. Yet a new day dawns. You see, you hear a man preaching in Corinth, in your city. Except he's not like the other Greek speakers, the debaters that talk in the town square. This guy was different. He had power. His name was Paul. And through listening to him, you encounter the good news of Jesus who died for you, who washes you clean and who gives you a new life. And you experience in Jesus a far deeper love. And so you devote your life to Jesus who paid it all for you. And so you stop going to that temple and you start praying to God and reading his scriptures. You've never felt better. And better yet, You've discovered a community of other believers who welcome you into their homes. They accept you and they help you grow in faith. You know, things are great for a while. But lately, gathering with your church has become harder and harder. You see, every week they have a meal. And one of the believers brings a big leg of beef that he's purchased from the markets. You watch as they happily eat this meat that that you know has been sacrificed to Aphrodite. And you know, you you feel left out unless you join in. And so you you sit at the table, you 
you take a bite of that meat. And in that moment, your, your gut just sinks and, and you, you think back, your mind goes back to the temple and, and the wickedness there, the wickedness of your past life and, and that feeling of dirtiness just returns and you feel like you've failed God. And so one day you pluck up the courage to ask this believer whether we could all just have something else other than meat to eat. And he laughs at you and he brushes you off and he says, what do you, an idol is nothing. You see, this believer that you're talking to, he, he was once a Jew, and they had all these sorts of laws against eating meat, but now he was free in Christ who fulfilled the law. And so he could eat meat. He could give glory to God by eating everything for God's good. It's my Christian freedom to eat whatever I want, especially pork ribs. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So can I or can't I? Who is right? Can a Christian eat food, sacrifice to idols? I wonder if you can relate. Have you ever been pressured to do something that caused you to stumble? Maybe a few brews at a community group. Maybe people were getting a tattoo or they were watching a movie and, and you felt that pressure to, to give in. This is the situation the church in Corinth faced. Freedom and love collided. Freedoms and love collided. So I want you to look, let's open up 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to read from verse 4, Paul's response to this issue. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. The first reality is that yes, yes it is true that there is only one God and that idols are nothing. God the Father from and for whom all exist. We are made for His glory. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom, our, through whom we exist, life is sustained by the Word of Jesus. You see, a Christian has freedom from the tyranny and distraction of idols. A Christian has freedom from idols. And I wonder, do you know this freedom? Are you free from the idols of this age? You know, we all worship something. We all exist for a reason. What's your reason for existing? What are you living for? I mean, that's what it means to, to worship or to, to have an idol is what are you living for? Maybe you're living for success. Or personal happiness. Your reason for existing, perhaps a relationship or creature comforts. You see, these idols have no power to give lasting meaning to your existence. It's what the Creator alone can do. Our Father for whom we exist. Jesus through whom we exist. So first reality, yes, there is only one God and that idols 
are nothing with no power. Verse 7, however, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. The second reality is our yes, but. Yes, we know there is one God, but... What is safe for one Christian may not be for another. What is safe for one Christian may not be for another. Just like our example, eating food for them caused them to sin against their conscience. I just want to clarify, when I say what is safe for one Christian, what's not in question is the things that are clearly sinful outlined in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, like adultery, Lying, drunkenness, gossip, hate. God's Word is clear on this, black and white. But there are gray areas of Christian living. There are gray areas. Like eating food sacrificed to idols. This was a gray area. Or for some, it's drinking alcohol, voting a certain way, wearing makeup, piercings, tattoos, language, watching or reading certain fantasy genres or or levels of intimacy for dating couples. There's no... There's no clarity in the Scriptures on these issues. It's a gray area. So what is safe for one Christian may not be for another. I want you to take the example of dating. See, for one person, kissing is a non-issue sign of affection. But for the other, perhaps causes them to struggle with feelings they know should be protected within the covenant of marriage. You know, this happened to my brother and his wife. Uh, Kissing was a stumbling block for him. For her, it was no issue. So can I or can't I? You know, my Christian freedom. Does my Christian freedom matter? Paul's answer, yes, but. Which leads us to Paul's main argument. It's not about you. Everyone say, it's not about me. It's good. Preach it to yourself every day. This is all about what compels us. What compels us? I want to give you an example. Uh, Do you remember that photo of Trump from the NATO summit where he kind of pushes his way to the front of the photo? I don't know if you've seen that. I think this is a really good example and a representation of, I think, what my attitude can be like sometimes. And I think all of us, consciously or subconsciously, we say, my rights, my needs, my freedoms. The next photo is from a One Direction concert. Now, this dad has the knowledge, right? He has the knowledge. He knows that One Direction is a bad band. Can I get an amen? But out of love for his daughter, he goes. He even pays out of his own money for her to go. Love is his driver. Love seeks to build up. So look down with me, chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Love is to be our driver, not personal entitlement. 
And this is the kind of love that is self-sacrificial and self-giving. This is the same love that God had towards us. We were dead in our sins. And Jesus, he humbled himself to relate to us, to become a man. That in his death, he would take the wrath of God deserved for us in our sin, God's judgment. But out of love, he laid himself down. He would take that wrath, that judgment on himself so that we might be forgiven. That self-sacrifice of our God to love us, that we might have eternal life, that we might look forward to life with him in eternity, but even now that we might enjoy fellowship, access to our Father. This is what it is to be known by God, is that he loved us first. To be known by God, he loved us first and gave his son Jesus to die for us. Would you say that you are a person driven by this self-sacrificial love? You know, wouldn't it be amazing if people walked in here and they experienced this kind of love and welcome? This is a matter of culture. I was talking to Pastor Team on this morning. We're, we're talking about culture, and he talked about it as if culture is like the character of a community. You know, we talk about our own personal character, and we want to grow our character. You know, it's like what, what our qualities are like. We want to have the character of Christ. Culture is kind of like the character of a community. And so what, wouldn't it be amazing if our, if our culture was like Christ in its character? People experience that love. You know, where the church was not just interested in being right, though that's important. Not just interested in worship, though that's important. Not just interested in a sermon, though that's important. But genuinely committed to one another and their growth. Genuinely committed to building each other up. Has your love helped build someone up? And so notice in this, Paul says, take care, be careful, look here, pay attention. Verse 8, he says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. He's saying, yes, our freedom. Verse 9, but take care. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Charlotte. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols like the situation I explained before? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. You see, what compels our behavior, our willingness to forfeit our freedoms, is for the sake of our brother and sister. In other words, love compels us. What compels us to forfeit our freedoms? Love. So are you aware of how your behavior 
might be a stumbling block to someone else? Have we stopped to take care, to pay attention? And would we take our eyes off ourselves and what we can get out of church and fulfilling our needs and actually look to the needs of those around us? You know, step one of loving someone is actually just an awareness of knowing what's going on in their life, to listen, to listen. You know, the meat-eating believer in our, in our scenario, what if he would stop to listen to that convert's story, to their history, to their struggles? Would we do the same? And why? Why should we care? Why should we? For as Christ died to give you your rights, he died for your brother and sister too. For just as Christ died for you, he died for your brother and sister. And so to deny them is to deny Christ. To sin against them is to sin against Christ. The world around us, our culture says, claim what is rightfully yours. Jesus says, lay it down as I laid down my life for you. Lay down your rights. Even to the point, and I know this is hard to swallow for you carnivores out there, even to the point of giving up meat. Look at verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I wonder what freedom might you forfeit for the sake of loving your brother and sister and and building them up. What freedoms might we forfeit for the sake of loving and caring for our brother and sister? I want to leave you with a few takeaways. Number Number one, take the time to be aware of one another's struggles. Do you know where your brother and sisters struggle? Let's be a vulnerable and authentic community that cares for what's actually going on in each other's lives. So maybe ask your community group, are there things I can do or give up that I might better love you? So take the time, be aware of one another's struggles. That's a big thing I think often we're just not aware. It's a lack of awareness. Number two, Sacrifice of freedom for the sake of love. Sacrifice of freedom for the sake of love, even if you are right. Even if it is your right. Perhaps it's in the area of, of modesty. Girls and guys, let's avoid wearing clothing that might cause others to stumble. Absolutely, yes, Guys need to control their eyes. No question. Nevertheless, might we love and serve them by our modesty? Boys, this means you too as well. How we dress. That we might love and serve one another by our modesty. Perhaps it's drinking. Maybe we would sacrifice drinking alcohol at a party if we knew that it was an area of struggle for a friend. Maybe it's the movie we watch, the games we play, the places that we visit. How about this? Have you ever ever thought about what you are posting on social media or sending in that group chat 
especially a platform like Instagram, and thinking about how is what you're posting actually affecting my brothers and sisters, and it might it be causing them to stumble. And maybe, as I mentioned before, it's sacrificing levels of physical intimacy before marriage to help each other be pure. Remember, love is our driver, not personal entitlement, just as Christ loved us. And if you never have to sacrifice something for your community, I want to suggest that maybe we're not a diverse community that Christ came to reconcile. And maybe it's about time we started reaching out to those who are different to us. I was really challenged by that. And number three, make it your goal for others to grow. You know, often we set areas for personal growth. Uh, Let's make it in love our goal to build up others. So actually caring for what's going on in each other's lives. And so start praying for people in your community group. Help them, encourage them. Think about what their needs are. Actually be aware and care. Love builds up. So freedom forfeited. We're going to be looking at this theme for the next couple of weeks through this uh, chapter 8, chapter 9. But tonight, I want you to remember this. Freedom forfeited for the sake of love that builds up. Forfeiting our freedoms for the sake of love that builds up. And you know, this vision of self-sacrificial, self-denying community of love that Paul speaks to, I think is more relevant today than ever. In our culture that is so consumed by individualism and consumerism, you know, this has been highlighted even more throughout COVID, you know, in the age of podcasts and video church and an emphasis on an enjoyable Sunday experience with good music, you know, preaching that makes you laugh, beautiful graphics. Have we lost something of this love, this self-denying love as we meet as God's church? See, Christ died to make a people his own. And he modeled this selfless love to us on the cross. And he said it would be this same self-denying, self-sacrificial love that would tell the world what he is like. By this you would know that you are my disciples by the way you love each other. So greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friend. You know, Jesus was talking about himself, but he called the church to model the same kind of love, to be devoted to one another in love, to honor one another above ourselves. So I just want to finish by saying, come, Lord Jesus. Fill us with your spirit that we might love one another as, as God has loved us. So let me pray as we, as we close. God, we thank you so much for your love that you would uh, deny the the glory of heaven to come to earth. That, Lord Jesus, you would suffer in our place. That you would love us so much that you would absorb the, the wrath of God deserved for us. Lord, what love, what grace, what mercy and kindness you've shown to us. Thank you, Lord, that you've made us a new people. Just pray for people here tonight, Lord, who don't know this love, that perhaps are still trapped in 
uh, a prison of seeking and trying to find worth and acceptance but not finding it. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you might by your Spirit open our hearts to see how much you love us and that in your love and by your sacrifice you accept us. You wash us clean. You make us new. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your church to be filled with your Spirit that we might lay down our rights for the sake of love. I just pray for wisdom in this. Pray for guidance and humility. I pray, Lord, where it hurts to be vulnerable and it hurts to be ourselves, we just pray for your your strength and, and your peace. And I pray, God, that you would bind us together with cords of love that cannot be broken and that we would be a witness to this community, to the world, that, Lord, we are yours. We're not like the world. We're different because we love each other with this self-denying love. Lord, please help us to do this and be glorified in us, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus, use us that we might be a wonderful witness to the world that you alone are the hope, that idols are nothing, that there is one God. So, Lord, help us to be that community you've called us to be. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's children said, Amen.